Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, excited to be back again for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I am thrilled today to have a conversation with Dr. Robert Dillon. And we're going to explore a little bit about learning space design uh, in the midst of our, our current circumstances. We're looking to the fall uh, in the present moment and considering a kind of a hybrid environment. And what does it look like to remain socially distant and, and safe and in school setting uh, without losing some of the things that we know to be best with regards to learning space design as it pertains to optimizing learning. And so Dr. Robert Dillon here is someone who I uh, had a chance to kind of see at a conference and I purchased his book, The Space, uh, which he co-authored. And I just really appreciate his perspective when it comes to this topic. And so, uh, Bob, thank you so much for being on the pod today. Yeah, it's great to be here and uh, great to catch up again. Yeah, for sure. And I'd like, if you would, um, from the top, just kind of give people who don't know you um, a little bit of your kind of background and, and um, kind of the things you're working on maybe right now. Yeah, I've been working uh, here in the St. Louis area for the last 25 years. I've had a number of different roles. The last role that I've, uh, I'm just finishing up is Director of Innovative Learning, uh, which has been a fun role, right? Like it's this kind of nexus between strategic communication, which I think is important for schools, I, uh, curriculum and instruction design and modernizing that, and then the technology tools that go with that. So it's kind of been a really fun role to bring to the school district of University City. And then before that, I was a middle school principal and a high school English teacher, and uh, it's just been a lot of fun. I mean, I think that um, all of my roles have been about doing things a little bit different and changing the way we normally do things. Well, awesome. And that's certainly uh, been evident in your work with regards to, to learning space. Uh, and so I know you got a new book coming out, right, too? We just, um, to yeah, we're finishing, man. And we were, we were rushing to get things done. And we wanted to have it ready for the start of the new school year. And then when the start of the new school year totally became this uh, you know, black hole of we have no <laughs> idea what it's going to yeah. be, uh, we pumped the brakes a little bit. Rebecca and Hare, who's my co-author, and I, you know, have heard for the last three years since our first book, The Space, A Guide for Educators, came out that, hey, this is great for teachers in classrooms, but where the impact happens is when this is a full building initiative. So we're writing a book for design teams and principals, very much like the other book, looks the same. You open it up, you'll say, oh, I found an old friend again, but new wisdom. And uh, we're excited because I think that uh, come October, November, people are going to be craving the idea about learning space design and figuring out some of the things to do beyond put up plexiglass and separate kids. <laughs> well, and I think that's the, I don't think, I know that's the very reason why I'm excited to have our chat today. Uh, and so looking forward to getting into that. For people who maybe are new to this type of conversation where the, the arrangement of desks even <laughs> is uh, about as far as they have ever ventured into thinking through this, can you kind of talk a little bit to uh, the why and maybe get into the, the fundamental thinking that drives those design principles uh, as you see learning space and advocate for that. Yeah, and you know, I never thought when I was a middle school principal, I'd be talking about learning space design all over the country and supporting schools, but there is a connection. I was a middle school principal at an experiential learning school. So we were outside, out in the community, outside of the community, 20 to 25% of the school year. And I watched our kids come alive, right? Like in a classroom, it's almost like they just turned off all their energy and joy. We'd get them outside and they'd love it. And I don't think at the time I made the connection, but it was about where they were learning. 
And I knew that we couldn't make the classrooms like a field trip or we could make the classroom like the garden or the outdoor classroom, but we could do a lot of things to bridge the gap. And that was the opening of the conversation. Um, you know, in education, we talk about what kids should learn and how they should learn it. And I think my push has been, we should also be talking about where they learn. Uh, and the learning science backs it up and the research is there. And my goal has been able to take the research, unpack it for teachers and leaders so that they can do practical things to make their learning spaces just awesome for kids. And so that's kind of the big, big picture background. The short version is there's too much crap in classrooms. We got to get more stuff out, make more room for kids to be active more often. So there, there's the short version of it. And what I've found, and I'll, my interest in this topic too, just kind of stems back from personal experience. Also, I had a time where I was pushing to kind of go into a personalized learning uh, setting where it felt a little bit like a, a module, but for a unit long. And I got to a place where there's a counseling error in my own building and they overbooked my class to where I had five or six students sitting on the floor uh, as we were starting the semester off. And I was like, this is not going to work. And I was venting to our media center specialist and she said, why don't you bring your class down here? Uh, and so we actually, I joked we checked out the library <laughs> and, and we ended up uh, holding class in that space for the duration of the quarter. And it was really interesting in a place that had couches and had beanbag chairs and had, because we weren't one-to-one, -one, had desktop stations, places for groups, side rooms, uh, the way in which the space helped to really optimize that experience and, and students could pair the task with the location uh, that they were, they were placing themselves in. And, and I think that it also helped with things like class culture and, and some of the stuff that you've also talked about there. And so I'm with you. And I think that there's ways to do this with or without a, a grant. Uh, would you agree as far as your experience yeah. goes? I mean, certainly money helps, right? Like isn't right. That, that's the answer. But I, I think one of the keys is that we've been in this mode for a long time. And if you've been in a classroom for three or four or five years, the same room, Man, inertia takes over, right? Momentum takes over. Where stuff's on the wall, what's there, what isn't there, it just starts to take over. And I, and what I, one of the things I want people to do is to slow down, be intentional, ask, does that really help learning? Does that need to be there? Is that just clutter? That's, I mean, that's free, right? Like, and I always talk about addition by subtraction is a free thing. And even if teachers started to say like, can I get rid of five things out of my room just to break the momentum? And then the other thing that is really a piece of this is super practical is that no matter what you have on the floor of a classroom, you can always design your walls. What goes up? What doesn't go up? Do I open my blinds? Do I close my blinds? Do I have a bunch of teacher stuff everywhere? Uh, do I have a bunch of store-bought stuff where it's peeling down at the corners? I don't know. There's a lot of decisions we can make that are free before we even get to having to spend any money. And so that's my encouragement is that that's why anybody in any classroom can do this work. I couldn't agree more. That's something I've advocated for in my work just with one-on-one -on -one with teachers. Is, do you really need your teacher desk? Do you really need this thing that's taking up 25% of the space in your room? <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes the answer is yes, but it's amazing how just asking that question sometimes can force people to think a little bit differently about their space. Yeah, uh, sometimes people uh, accuse me. I show up at a school to do some work and some consulting and they're like, oh, here comes the guy to steal my teacher desk. And you know, <laughs> I, I'm not that guy, but I, I can tell you one of the uh, simple thing, right? Lots of teacher desks are perpendicular to the wall. Right now we're going to do math problem here. Perpendicular to the wall. It takes up a huge amount of square footage. 
if we can turn the teacher desk parallel to the wall, that shift alone opens up a big amount of square footage in a room. And so I, I could say, I don't want your desk. Can we just shift it 90 degrees? <laughs> and we can make a lot of visual change really quick. So it's fun to do these little simple things in classrooms that open the eyes of the 30 year veteran, the brand new teacher, the high school math teacher, or the first grade teacher. Some people put this on being a primary elementary thing and it's 100% not about decoration. It's about intentional design. And so that's, that's what's cool about it as well. Well, and you talked there about those simple little things and tweaks, and that's something that uh, as we enter into whatever this fall semester is going to be, and we can all make our assumptions as to the uh, number of circumstances, hybrid is a term that just continues to come up and up again right now. Uh, and so thinking about, yeah, how do we design a learning space that continues to do the things that we're talking about, help learners be at their best in that learning environment when there's plexiglass and when there's six foot social distancing. So understanding that these environments haven't existed before, so not to put <laughs> whatever you say, Bob, has to be the answer, but, <laughs> but, but what, where's your thinking at right now? You know, with that is really, that's the kind of conversation I'm interested in having. Yeah, and I think, you know, we have to control what we can control. You know, locale to locale, state to state, that's gonna be different, but I just don't want anyone to feel like they're a victim of the fall. Right, like there are teachers that are gonna say like, hey, there's only gonna be 10 kids in my room and I'm told I have to do this. Great, know what you have to do and then make the list of the things you can control. One of the things I mentioned was like, no one is saying what can be on the walls of your room. Right now you can think about the color palette, clutter, you can think about what you do wanna put up in the way of student work, you can think about all of those things as something you can control. And so that's my encouragement because, you know, I have two daughters and my biggest worry is that they go back to school and three weeks into school, dad, they're like, dad, this is the worst thing ever. I have to sit in a row for six and a half hours. I don't get to move all day. They line us up to go to the bathroom and they bring their lunch to us. And then we have to run around in the field six feet apart from each other. I can't imagine how miserable, because as much as we want to be healthy, it's not about balancing, but we have to also be humane to kids, right? Like this can't be an awful experience for them. So control what you can control. And the one thing that I think we underutilize, here's another quick tip, is that movement matters. We know this, right? We underutilize movement in our classrooms. There's no reason that all of those kids, 12, 15, however many kids you're putting in a space, can't stand behind their desk at least five to seven minutes of every hour that they're in that classroom. We don't have kids stand and learn as much as we should, right? Kids are capable of standing up and listening. And so I hold the back of your desk and just stand there and uh, do what you need to do. So whatever we can do to encourage movement. And the other thing is we're doing a lot of like, you don't have to have your bottom in the chair you can have kids sit on top of the desk, right? So if we can keep changing, stand up, sit on top of the desk, sit in the seat, provide some varied nature to the learning that's going on. I think all that'll help. Well, those are fantastic ideas for that movement piece. And, and you were talking a little bit earlier about color palette and student work on the walls. And so can you, I'm gonna press into that a little bit deeper and ask like, what, how do you put student work on the wall? What type of color schemes should we be after? 
Yeah, a couple things that I would encourage, and I'll go backwards here, is that uh, putting images of students doing learning on your walls of your classroom is really important. Uh, and that's something I think before all of this pandemic work and right up into this is important because it showcases what's supposed to be happening in the room. And it also values the hard work of students. We know all the growth mindset research says that we should value the learning process. And I can't tell you how many times I look at a bulletin board that's in the hallway or a display in a classroom and all it is is final product, right? How can we start to take our phones, take pictures, print a few of them off that showcases like the cool stuff that happens in our classroom. Um, so that's, we should definitely put more pictures of kids doing the learning on the walls. And it could be a dozen black and white images um, if you wanna do that. And then on the color palette side, the research is really clear is that when, if you have every color of the rainbow in your classroom, like bag of Skittles is not a color palette, right? Like, so like a base color <laughs> with a couple of additional colors is good for learning, right? We already have a group of kids that their attention span is strained. The pandemic has them stressed and anxious. Why would we want to put up color in our classroom to make that worse, right? Every kid that walks into a classroom, their stress level should go down and not up. And so whatever we can do, and you know, color palette's something that sometimes we have control of, sometimes it's a longer term sort of thing, but I'd love to ask teachers, what is your color palette that you're pursuing? And as long as you have an answer, you're on that journey. You may not be able to fix it in the fall, but at least you're on that journey to say like, hey, I'm kind of going with like a gray with a red and a blue, and I'm going to try to keep that moving forward, right? I'm going to start getting rid of the orange stuff in my room. All of that's really helpful to lower stress, lower anxiety, and help our kids in a time when mental health and social emotional needs are going to be really high in the fall. Well, even thinking about things uh, like color, which now, I, again, you might have some people that enter this conversation going, well, I've had my desk in rows for the last 30 years. And, and so now we're, we're already sort of tilting the way you look at things. How much is your work delved into things like, like music or the lighting in a space? And do you have any tips? Because you, you're talking there about, um, and I, I think it's incredibly important to think about, the emotional state that the students um, are bringing into the classroom and, and that you want to make this a safe space and a relaxing space and someplace that they feel as comfortable as they can. And so what, what tips do you have there and what role does that play? Yeah, I, I think it starts, and I'll mention uh, light and sound, but I think it starts with the signage that you have in your classroom, right? How many times do students see the word no in the rules, on the door, do you have a culture that really supports risk-taking and saying yes to things? Or are there signs up? It's like, no gum in here, no phones in here. Like all of those things set the tone. So being thoughtful about like, what messages am I sending? Um, so so yeah. you're saying I, on the front bulletin board, I don't want a big sign that says you better wear your mask or else, right? I, right, <laughs> like, yeah, right, like, like right, like, you know, like masks keep us healthy. Let's stay healthy together. There's ways to do smart signage. And when we see a smart sign in the community, we're like, yeah, you smile. Sometimes it's out in front of a church and sometimes it's in front of a restaurant. And you're like, 
yeah, we can bring that into the classroom. And then we do know that natural light helps, right? When we can get kids outside, we should do that. When we can let them see outside, we should do that. There's actually research that says if we show images of nature on our television, our interactive whiteboard, that actually helps kids and reduces their wow. stress. It's not as good as getting outside, but it still works. And so natural light, images of nature, super important. And then there's good research about music as well. When we want kids to do things with words, so write, read, we should not have music that has lyrics in it. And so that's a real, and then there's other things out there that say, hey, when we're asking kids to do a focus task, beats per minute in the song matters. And so you can go to Spotify, you can type in this, how the tempo of the song, and you can adjust that if you need to do that. So all of that stuff can be a part of the solution, but all of those things shouldn't overwhelm a teacher that's also trying to figure out everything. Like, do I do my light? Do I do the sound? Do I, like, do a couple <laughs> things, right? And most right. importantly, do a couple things and ask students. We don't do that enough. Like, hey, what's, what's, what's good about the room? What's not good about the room? What could I change? That feedback cycle is important as well. Well, and some of your comments too even make me think a little bit about, uh, and I wrote a blog not too long ago and it's not all that important, but the idea of turning your, your website or wherever you're going to have this communication from a landing page to a learning home is the way I titled it because I, I wanted to think about things that way, right? Like how do you, I, I would follow your lead there and say, I want to put some pictures of students working um, on that remote learning page and maybe having that all stay in a color scheme that <laughs> doesn't have all the Skittle colors of the rainbow as you brought up. And, and so I think that there's a design aspect um, to maybe, you know, some of those sites or, or Google Classroom or Canvas, wherever we're setting those things up. Uh, I know you've had an opportunity as well, speaking hybrid and, and specifically to that remote portion of things, uh, to think a little bit through that at-home support. And as a parent of a six-year-old, um, I'd appreciate some insights on that as uh, <laughs> how, to, how to help those kiddos and design a space here that might be a little more conducive. Yeah, I have two teenage daughters. So like, this has been the only time where I think it's beneficial to have two teenage daughters, they can kind of feed themselves and they can do their work. And the only thing I have to do every once in a while is prod them off the television of some show that I'm tired of watching. And uh, <laughs> I, I do know that uh, parents that have younger children, this has been an even more challenging time. And my encouragement is that they're going to be okay, right? Like, first and foremost, like, if you don't do every assignment every day on time at this moment, as parents, it's gonna be okay. No one's expecting uh, home perfection. And so we can take the pressure off ourselves. And then, you know, how do we balance green time and screen time, right? Like we have to sometimes say we're going for a walk or we're going out in the backyard or we're just gonna break away from what we're doing. I think that piece is important. And then, I, you know, I know there's control when it comes to scheduling, uh, but we can completely overschedule our kids. We were pretty good at that beyond the school day. So we can't get ourselves in the trap of having to do that in this time when you have, you know, a lot of schools are talking about kids being at school two days a week or every, you know, every other day. I don't know how all these schedules are going to work themselves out, but it's okay for us to decompress have some rest time. I actually just finished reading some research yesterday about how our brain needs that kind of restful time. And so whatever we can do to provide that as well at home, I think is important. And then, you know, giving kids a place to put their stuff and uh, do their work 
but then also to have some choice. Um, I don't know about you, but I like to work at my standing desk and then sit on the couch and then sit at the table. So if we mandate that kids do everything at X place, that's not really holding true to this idea about kids having choice. And so I, I think that all of those things are worth considering. I couldn't agree more with the whole, um, a lot of the work that I've had a chance to do deals with uh, learner preferences. And sometimes people want to find out where does a learner learn best? And I don't think that it's anywhere close to that simple. I, I know with my own children that if they're doing math, they want to work at the table and if they're reading, they want to be on a comfy couch. And so the, the task at hand determines some of those things. And I learned in my own home with my children through that uh, experience this past spring, uh, we put up a Kanban board that to do, doing and done. Uh, oh. where we'd list everything out there in terms of what they had to do academically along with chores, uh, a walk, you know, we'd throw a number of other things in there. And that really gave structure with flexibility and, and a little bit of choice like you're talking about because there were times where they needed support from me and I was tied up with things you know, at work. Uh, and so we couldn't necessarily always do reading from nine to 9.30. And uh, I think they got a little bit exhausted with this idea that, hey, if we can get everything done by noon, then you have the afternoon to yourself. That's great, but that is a rough three three and a half, four hours to try to get everything done sometimes. Um, and sometimes it works on Monday, right? And not on Tuesday, right? Like, and so it's okay. We kind of have the gift of time right now where it can happen over a longer period of time. So yeah, just an encouragement around because space and time are really united, right? Like in so many ways that, you know, as schools continue to think about returning, figuring out as a digital uh, educator, like, what do we do with our synchronous time? What do we do with our asynchronous time is a really important question for teachers to really dive into. Because our asynchronous time can be like, hey, get this stuff done whenever you want. But that synchronous time, maybe it shouldn't just be my voice. It should be us building culture and community and collaborating. If you have a 30 minutes a day with kids synchronous, and all you want to do is talk for 30 minutes, man, that's a wasted opportunity. So I, I think when I talk about intentional space design, I think we're also talking about intentional time design as well. And I see a fidelity between that and what you're talking about, because in that 30 minutes, you could be working with a peer and seeing that they're actively doing the same thing that you're doing. And, and that, uh, that piece was missing um, and to no fault of anyone, please. Like I'm, I certainly am not saying that at all, but, but I saw with my own children that not having that ability to just look to the left and see your peers working, look to the right and see <laughs> some more peers working. There's a camaraderie with that that is both energizing and, and also I think focusing. It helps you like kind of stay on task a little bit. And uh, so that's interesting to think about how we can maybe do that in a synchronous uh, Zoom meeting or, or Google Meet. Um, and gosh, half hour goes really fast here, Bob. So um, with that being said, uh, I do want to point us to the end of our, our conversation. And um, thanks for all your insights thus far. And so I guess I, I'd like to just wrap up and just give you the floor and say, well, if there's sort of a final message or uh, some sort of insight that you'd like to kind of leave everybody with, I just kind of appreciate hearing that to, to close it out today. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I've kind of preached and really brought to schools and districts around the country is the need to be flexible and agile, right? Uncertain times uh, lead us to that. And so a lot of the schools that I've designed classrooms for, we've really talked first and foremost about flexibility and agility. And when teachers can get in that kind of mindset, 
it really starts to take the pressure off of a lot of things, instructional design and UX design and uh, classroom design and all of these things. And so just staying in that flexible, agile mindset of like, it's going to be okay. I'm a designer. I pivot. Uh, I think we're going to be okay. I think um, I, I remain optimistic and hopeful that on the other side of the pandemic that we will uh, hopefully bring some systems with us that will allow for a better personalized learning experience for kids. Um, whether that's because we've changed how we grade or how we look at curriculum design or how we use blended environments. I think we can bring some of the best of what we're gonna do over the next few months forward. And if that happens, some good will come from all this mess. I mean, could you ask for two better words to describe you, what your approach should be entering the flexible and agile? That's what we got to be, light on our feet and ready to, to pivot and turn when needed. Uh, and so I uh, could not agree more and am very grateful for your insights here. And hopefully that'll help uh, any and all educators listening as they go about trying to design things in preparation for what will be an interesting opportunity that for us to really grow for forever after that. And so I'm looking forward to it. So that's it. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything this fall. And um, we'll have to keep in touch. That'd be great. And thanks for having me and good luck in your new role and uh, bringing some new insights to everyone there in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot.